Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Continue on with what Pastor Robert had shared. That celebrating Palm Sunday, the, the week before Easter, has been something that that the church throughout the world has been doing for at least 1,200 years. So it's a really long history of, of part of the, the celebration leading up to Easter. It's, it's really interesting as I was looking at some of the symbolism behind it and what that shows us. That, first of all, it, the entrance of Jesus coming to Jerusalem led up to the Passover. And that's the same time that he went to the cross and gave his life for us. In the Passover, the Jews would celebrate what was from several hundred years in the past, where they were liberated from a military oppressive rule of Egypt against them. And God set them free with sovereign power and unleashed them and let them go into the desert. And they eventually became their own separate nation. As the Jews continued to celebrate Passover, especially under Roman occupation, it became really significant. As they were looking forward to that same kind of release that they had from the Egyptians long time ago under slavery and under oppression, they wanted the exact same thing out from under the Romans. And so as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, Passover is just a few days forward. This is in the minds of everybody who is there of thinking we want to be set free. And what we want is a powerful ruler just like the Romans to come in and kick the Romans out just the way they they live and do their world. There's a lot of symbolism in the arrival of Jesus himself. He came in on a donkey. Kings came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Kings did when they came in peace. Rulers who were authoritarian, exercising military might, came in on a war horse. Very, very distinct. Jesus specifically chose the donkey with that in mind. Also, the gate they came through was very significant. Pilate and all the other Roman leaders would come through the main gate. They would come through with an army, with chariots and soldiers and swords and spears, making sure that all the people knew that as I'm coming in in this huge military display that I, as the Roman leader, you're going to fear me, you're going to see are you're going to have obedience to me, not because out of any care or concern, but because you're terrified of the violence and the military strength that he would bring. Jesus, on the other hand, came through the east gate. Essentially, it's the back door. Humble. He came by himself, alone, in contrast to coming in as an army. He came with no weapons. Huge difference between the two, and Jesus used that symbolism on purpose to show the people, and to show us what he was about. So rather than on one side is the world system and the Roman Empire of military might and violence and using that, and the Jews 
aligning themselves and thinking in terms of we want that kind of power to throw out that kind of power. Jesus came through the back door in humility, riding on a donkey as a king, but coming in peace, coming in humility, coming in self-sacrificing himself, knowing that he was going to the cross just a few days later to set people free. But the people, instead, they wanted a ruler. They wanted a king who was just like Pilate, who was just like the Roman Empire. And as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he wept. Luke 19, and it's not on the screen, but he said, he, and he's, after all the people were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, they loved the healings, they loved being set free from demons, and they were looking forward to him setting free the Romans just like he set free the demons. If you had known, even you, Jerusalem, especially in this, your day, the day that he was coming into Jerusalem as a king of peace, the things that make for your peace... And then he goes on to say, for days are going to come. And he describes what's going to, about to happen to Jerusalem and how it's literally going to be leveled, you and all of your children. And in 30 years from then, Jerusalem and all of Israel rose up against the Roman Empire, trying to use military might to push them out. Rome came in and in 70 AD completely leveled Jerusalem, leveled the temple. And as Jesus said, they will not leave in you, one stone upon another. And that's exactly what they did. That's how badly they leveled. But the people were looking for a military might, a military response. And Jesus said, you've missed it. And he wept. The things that make for your peace. And so as we look at freedom of your mind, we want to take on the mind of Jesus rather than on the mind of what we think. I know if I look back on that, that time, that Palm Sunday, where the people are crying out, blessed is the one who's coming in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. I have to think, I would probably be in the crowd like that. Sometimes I think, oh, you know, I'm going to be right next to Jesus. I'm going to be just, I, I know what I'm... The reality is, is that most people missed it. And I probably would have been there too. And as we look at being free in our mind, part of that is learning more and more what's on Jesus' mind. What is his perspective? How does he see the world? And how do we see it differently and need to change and adjust? What is that perception? The devil also came to Jesus at the beginning of his ministry and tried to tempt him to skip out on going to the cross. He tempted him, brought him up to the, the temple and looked out over all the kingdoms of the world and offered him and said, hey, just worship me. It's all yours. And Jesus could have taken that step. Or he could have taken the step as he came into Jerusalem, called on a whole pile of angels to do battle and eliminate the power of the Romans. He could have killed the Romans. He did not. He chose the path of self-sacrifice. He chose the path of love. So our first point today, and it's written in the notes, 
The mind is the main battlefield between good and evil. The mind is the main battlefield between good and evil. We can be waylaid in our thoughts. We can be set back in our thoughts, either by ourselves and our own thinking, like the people of Jerusalem were, in thinking that they wanted a military ruler out of Jesus, or by the devil who brought thoughts to Jesus to say, hey, take the easy way out. Just, just yield yourself to me and it'll be great. We can be, that's where the, the main battlefield is. It's either from ourselves or from the devil. And be like the, the people of Jerusalem. The apostle James wrote some really clear guidance that's helpful for us today. In James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. He wrote, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Submit to God. In other words, put yourself under Jesus' authority. Essentially, he's saying, Jesus, you're in charge. Jesus, you're, you know everything. You're, you have a perspective on how things need to turn out and what's the best way for that to happen. I have no idea. And I align myself to you. I give myself to you. I submit myself to you. I look to you for guidance and understanding and perspective. How do you see the world? Help me to see that. That's submit to God. Resist the devil is much like what we see in Jesus and what he did at the beginning of his ministry is that he used the word of God, the scriptures, and pushed back on the devil. And so that's, that's not God's perspective. And so I'm having nothing to do with that. And James says, when you resist the devil, what? He's going to flee. He's going to run away. Tail between his legs running when we resist. And the third, draw near to God. Similarly, in the book of John, Jesus said that, that he is the vine and we are the branches. Remain in me. Stay connected to me. There's a closeness and an intimacy that he invites us to have with him. So on one side, there's submission to God, that God is, is awesome and he's powerful and he's amazing and he's beyond our comprehension. And then there's on the other side, there's God who is very close and intimate and near and he wants us to draw close to him. It's both of those together that make up our relationship with who God is and what he has for us. And in that, as we build that relationship with him, then as the mind, in our mind, it's the main battlefield between good and evil, that the more that we align ourselves to him as king, as God, as friend, as close, that he helps us to get through those battles. In the notes, it says, freedom in our minds begins with making our thoughts, ideas, and perspectives acknowledge. And I would say, cross out the word, just strike a, a line through the word acknowledge. And in its place, put yield to. Yield to instead of acknowledge. Acknowledge is true, but even the demons acknowledge Jesus. But yield to the lordship of Jesus Christ through the word of God and relationship with Jesus.
And so our second point is, number two, God's word is a spiritual weapon. God's word is a spiritual weapon. That we can spend time in the word and in prayer to wage a spiritual warfare. It's more than just reading the Bible. It's about building and developing a relationship with Jesus. It's about learning as we spend time with him and what he shows to get his perspective on ourselves, his perspectives on him, his perspectives on the world, get his perspective on life. It forms our perspectives that are aligned to his kingdom, his rule and reign as to what he wants to accomplish. And we can learn to be like Jesus rather than just know about him. We could read the Bible to know about Jesus, but it's important that we learn to be like him and to act like him, to live like him. So as, as James said, submit to God. That's, that's, as we spend time in the word, we rein, reinforce our allegiance and our aligning of ourselves to him. That as we spend time in the word, we take a stand, we resist the devil because we know what's in the word. We know what's obviously, this is of the devil and this is of God and I can resist this and I can cling to what is of God because we know more and more about what's important to God. And we want to draw near to God. So rather than just reading the Bible, it's about developing a relationship with Jesus. And the book of Hebrews tells us how significant is the word of God. In chapter 4, verse 12, he says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God as we open ourselves up, as we submit ourselves to God and reveals our heart, reveals our understanding and exposes us to what God is thinking and what, uh, what is on God's heart. It becomes a spiritual weapon because it exposes things within us that need to change, whether it be in our mind or anything else about us. I know many times I've, I've heard in the past and I've probably said it to others is that, all right, when you're in trouble, put on the armor of God and you can stand in that moment and you can fight off the devil. Anybody hear things like that? It's like, in this moment of trouble, I need to put on the armor. And there's some truth to that, that he, uh, Paul, when he wrote about it, that it, it's all about having God's perspective and having an, an armor and an element that is of a spiritual warfare. And we're going to go th read through that. However, I know when I think back on some elements of my life, I've just almost hyped myself up. Okay, I got to put on the armor. It's getting really, really bad now. I got to put on the armor. And then I might forget about it for three or four weeks until something else gets really, really, really bad. And I got to put on the armor again. But <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, but there's so much more to it. And, and I've, I only discovered this in, in the past month as I was reading from somebody else that the armor of God, in, in the, the ancient Near East, the time of Jesus, when you put on a garment, it was taking on the identity of 
what that garment is. So a Roman soldier of a bride or a groom or a priest, you put on the garment, you're taking on the identity of what that garment represents. So as we take on and we put on Jesus Christ, we're putting on the person of Christ. As we take on and put on being sons and daughters of Christ, that's our identity. Once we have that as an identity, it doesn't change. And as we put on the armor of God, that's an identity. It doesn't change. We don't need to put it on again. It's, all right, it's who we are. We are soldiers. It's on. We don't have to take it on. But think about a, a Roman soldier. How many times could you picture a Roman soldier going about their day, doing their stuff without their armor on? Ever? Even if they're going to the market to get food for their family, they're going to be armed. We sometimes think, all right, I can just set the armor aside. I pull it out only as when it's a bad time. All the time. It's part of who we are is that we are equipped with the armor of God always. It's our identity. And then, in essence, it just becomes a way of life because it's part of us. It's who we are. So let's go through Ephesians chapter 6 that talks about the armor of God starting at verse 10. And Paul writes, My brethren, I'm going to stop there already. (laughs) It's a group of people. He's writing to, if you read through the whole book of Ephesians, and remember, he talked to husbands, he talked to wives, he talked to children. He talks to everybody. So when he says brethren, it's the whole community. And sometimes I think, all right, the armor of God, that's just for me. But it's, it's for each one of us. And essentially, we make up an army. We make up a squad of soldiers that are in a spiritual battle. Rather than feeling, oh my goodness, it's all, I'm by myself and I got to put on my armor in this really dreadful place that we're in. We are among an army that is part of a larger army that is global, that is aligned to the Lord. This is our identity. Finally, brethren, all of us, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. In other words, it's God's power, not ours. We're putting on, we're taking on the, the identity that he has given us, the power that he has given us. Put on the armor of God. Take on the identity of a soldier that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's the, the craftiness of the devil trying to pull us back into the kingdom of darkness and away from a relationship with Jesus. Remember, James said, Submit to God. Resist the devil. The armor of God, the identity that we have in Christ, helps us to resist the craftiness of the devil. And here's a key element, that this is not against people in our battle. As Jesus said when he came Palm Sunday, he was the king of peace. People didn't see it. They thought that their Their battle was waging against people. Verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It's not against people. It's against the devil. It's against demons. It's against fallen angels. All of those spiritual forces that have an influence on the world system around us, yes, but it's those spiritual forces that we wage our war and we need to mount a defense against. 
that want to keep us from having a loyalty to Jesus. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. Again, take up the identity that is already ours, that's already given to you, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. How do we know truth? Well, it goes back to the word. It goes back to who Jesus is. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Right. As we spend time in the word, as we spend time building a relationship with Jesus, we wrap ourselves more and more with that truth that becomes a part of who we are. The breastplate of righteousness. Another element of our identity is that we have been declared righteous by Jesus because of what he did at the cross, which we're going to celebrate next Sunday at Easter, that we are righteous. And it is times that sometimes I accuse myself that I'm, I'm not righteous. I, didn't, I haven't done the, the right thing. I don't have the right thoughts. Or the devil would come in and accuse me of not being right. The reality is, as part of our identity, is that we are right in God's eyes because of Jesus. Not because of anything we've done or I've done, but because of what he has done. Verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Again, it's a, it's a foundation, that, that footwork of going out and walking and being about the good news of peace to other people who are stuck, who are oppressed, who are picked on by the devil and our own and are away from and apart from God. We can bring that good news of peace and the wholeness that we have in God. Verse 16, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. We can quench. That's a great word. I started picture, I used to think of like, all right, there's a shield and it just blocks the arrows that are coming at you, but it's quench. That's more like a shield that's a swimming pool around you and all of those fiery arrows hit your shield and fall into the water and immediately are drowned and go completely out. Those are quenched. That's what the armor of God and part of our identity does to the effectiveness of the devil. It makes it completely useless. He, the devil's attacks are quenched and are drowned and are put down and are powerless because of what God has done. This is an identity rather than something that you run to once in a while when you feel like I've got a a major need. It's a way of life. Just like a Roman soldier that he used this as an illustration that Walking in and living in the armor of God is an everyday thing. It's who we are as people. That God's word is a spiritual weapon. It reveals the truth of who God is. It reveals the truth of who we are in God's eyes and how we can withstand the devil and how we walk forward in our relationship with Jesus. Number three, biblical meditation and declaration is spiritual warfare. There's a couple ways that we can approach that. I want to cover both. One is as individuals, and then as a community of believers. First, by yourself. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 3, says, Blessed is the man 
who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Verse 2 says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight, it's his joy to think about, to spend time on, and to act and to live it out, the law of the Lord. And what is the law of the Lord? What Jesus said when asked the same question, he said, if, wait, if you sum up the law and the prophets, it's all in these two sentences, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and the other one, love your neighbor. That's all of, the, that's all of it. Delighting in that is what he is saying. Delight in that. Make that everything about you. Make that a part of what you love and cling to, and it drives everything that we do in our day. He says, in in the law, in those two elements, he meditates day and night. I used to think meditate was, you know, you'd you'd like sit on the floor with your legs crossed, and I won't do it because I probably couldn't get back up again. And just kind of, and just almost zone out. This word and the the corresponding Hebrew behind it is more like muttering, talking to yourself out loud. Kind of like, you're walking around. Maybe something with a little bit more meaning to it of love the Lord. I need to love the Lord your God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. Love my neighbor as myself. Who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus said the neighbor is, well, he was a stranger. And so I need to love my family. I need to love my next neighbor. Well, he also said, love your enemies. And that is meditation. You can sit quietly and just think about it. But there's an element of it, of just literally, it's muttering to yourself out loud, which I think is really profound, especially for people who already are talking to themselves when they walk through their house. <laughs> You can add a spiritual depth to that. It's, again, it's a, it's a way of life. It's talking to yourself about the truths of God and of the heart of God and the things that are important to God. That's the law of the Lord. Delighting in that and making it a part of who you are. And verse 3 talks about the result of that. It's like, you're like a tree planted by the water. A tree that grows huge, that grows big. It takes a long time. But... Spending that time with God, spending that time delighting in Him and making a part of every moment is worth it and helps you to prosper, as he says. Biblical meditation and declaration, it's spiritual warfare and it makes a difference in our lives. So the second part of that, that was for individual as yourself. The other is as a community with others. There's one other passage you want to look at, and that's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Some people call this the Shema, and the reason for that is that the, the first word in verse 4, which is here, hear, O Israel, here in Hebrew is Shema, apparently, it means listen and obey. More than just listen and forget about it, listen and 
and obey the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. These words, the law, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. That should be a part of everything. Teaching your children, being wherever you are, in your house, going for a walk, out, whatever it is. It's every element of life is described in here. Rather than it just being selective moments, it's about all of life. With our kids, with our families, with our coworkers, wherever we might be. He's talking about a way of life. So that meditation, that, dec that declaration, that spiritual warfare is about bringing the truth of God, bringing the reality of God, bringing the awareness of God, bringing that understanding to every element of our life and bringing that to our minds as we walk out of here, as we walk to the car, as we drive through traffic, as we go back home. Every element of our life is part of that. And we can intentionally bring that as a truth. To, to summarize it a bit, before I jump into that, that sometimes it's easy to look at just reading through the Bible and focus on that alone as an end in and of itself. But Jesus himself said in, in John 5, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. So we spend time in the word. We spend time having a life that is of a spiritual warfare, not as an end in itself, but the end is a relationship with Jesus. The end is knowing him so we can learn his way, to walk in his way. It changes our life. It changes our mind. It changes our thinking. It changes our relationships. It changes everything about us. Rather than just an end of itself. Okay, I, I read through some Bible verses today. But it's about transforming our lives and allowing God to do so. As James said, submit to God. As we go through our life as a way of life of aligning ourselves and pledging allegiance to Jesus rather than to anything else of giving ourselves to him, remaining in him, connected to him, our life changes. And that is a spiritual warfare as we become more solid, solidly planted in the light and stay farther and farther away from the kingdom of darkness. And at the same time, we can reach out to those who are far from God and bring them out of darkness into the light and join us as we together continue amongst all of us to orient ourselves toward him. So this has been about freedom of the mind. That Palm Sunday, a lot of people missed what Jesus had in mind. They just completely missed it. And it would be easy to be in that same boat with them and miss 
God's intentions. But because he gave us the word, he gave us the opportunity to know him, we can have our minds renewed, have our minds transformed, and become more and more thinking and oriented the way he did. He brought a lifestyle of the kingdom, the kingdom of peace, of self-sacrifice, of love. And the freedom in our mind comes as we pursue Jesus, that we align ourselves with him, that we pursue him through the Bible, we pursue him through prayer, we pursue him in, in muttering and talking to ourselves. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life of pursuing him and pursuing him together so that we can encourage one another in that. Let's stand and we'll pray. Jesus, we thank you that you chose to give your life. You came to earth. You gave of yourself. You taught of, of your kingdom. And so many people rejected you. And it would be easy for us to fall into that. But we ask that you would open our eyes, open our minds, that we would truly align ourselves to you and we would pursue you and we would set our hearts on you, that we would take on and live out that identity that we are soldiers in your army, that we are sons and daughters of your kingdom, that we are set apart for you. Help us to continue to align ourselves to you, Jesus, as a way of life and do so in this community together. We bless you and honor you. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.